0: Honourable members, we all know that Europe is not out of the woods yet. This week, the European Union made a historic announcement.
1: From where we started, this is an enormous achievement, and this is big enough to make an enormous difference. It will invest in.
0: To help countries hit hard by the pandemic, the EU passed a 2 trillion euro coronavirus rescue package. And for the first time ever, agreed to give hundreds of billions of euros of aid with no strings attached.
1: That's a historic step that has always been an aspiration in the European Union in some quarters, but never was allowed to happen. And now it's happening.
0: Boyan Panchevski covers Europe, and he says that this stimulus package represents a major shift. In large part because one of the biggest opponents of this kind of plan has now become one of its biggest backers, German Chancellor Angela Merkel.
1: The biggest battle perhaps in this whole drama was to win over Chancellor Merkel, to convert Germany from a master of austerity to a country that stands for helping others financially without any strings attached. This
0: drama included secret phone calls, bottles of burgundy wine, and lots of face masks. The end result, this rescue package, may not only help Europe deal with the economic fallout of coronavirus, it might also help save the European Union from breaking apart. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Limbaugh. It's Friday, July 24th. Coming up on the show, the inside story of how the European Union took a bold move to avert disaster.
1: This episode is brought to you by Global X
0: ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with Global X ETFs. It bridged a long-standing divide between the two biggest
1: countries in the EU. Basically, France and Germany, which are the two founding members of the European Union and the two biggest countries and biggest economies in the bloc, they fundamentally have been in disagreement about the nature of reforms that are required for the European Union.
0: The leaders carrying the torch of this debate have been Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, and Emmanuel Macron, the president of France.
1: The two leaders of these two countries couldn't be more different. Uh, Angela Merkel has been in office for 15 years now. She's the longest-serving head of government in the European Union. She's a former scientist. She's a physicist. She... uh, has been known for a very temperate style of politics. She's very cautious, she's very careful, she's very scientific in her approach to policy. Now, on the other side, you've got Emmanuel Macron, who is a, a much younger person. When he was elected president, he was by far the youngest president of France. He's a former banker. He's a very dynamic figure. He's a very rhetorically gifted, charismatic figure. All the things that Ms. Merkel really isn't.
0: The dispute between these two leaders comes down to how united the economies of the EU should be. Right now, even though many EU members share a currency, their economies are not actually very integrated.
1: The EU is a bit of a patchwork in economic terms. Broadly, broadly speaking, is divided in two camps. The northern camp of sort of uh, more affluent nations, which are the net contributors to the budget of the European Union. And then you've got the southern countries, which are in a worse state economically. They are Italy, they are Spain, Greece, and so on.
0: For years, Merkel led the contributor nations, which have pushed the southern countries to be more fiscally responsible. This came to a head during the 2008 financial crisis. Greece was on the brink of collapse. And because that posed a threat to all of Europe's economies, richer countries like Germany had to step in and help out. But Merkel didn't just want to provide handouts. She offered loans with strings attached, like harsh budget cuts, something that many in Greece resented. And this tension has hung over the EU ever since. On one side are the economically stronger countries, urging fiscal responsibility. And on the other side are countries who believe that the EU should step in when countries are struggling. Representing that side has been France's Emmanuel Macron.
1: It's basically a philosophical dispute. The French view on things is that more integration is required, more pooling of resources is required in order to strengthen the unity of the European Union, especially of the Eurozone. That has been a long-standing French policy. The German view, however, is a little bit different. The Germans like integration, but they don't like integration. That means they have to be paying for other people's debt or they have to be underwriting other people's debt. That's long-standing anxiety in the German political class.
0: Over the past few years, Macron has tried to convince Merkel that the EU should be more integrated. But she wouldn't budge. And then...
1: Restaurants, cafes, shops, all closed for business.
0: Italy's economy is expected to fall by more than 11% due to the pandemic.
1: Italy and Spain have accused northern nations led by Germany and the Netherlands of not doing enough. Leaders in France and Italy have said without more unity, the coronavirus pandemic could be the beginning of the end of the EU.
0: The growing crisis facing the EU gave Macron's ideas new life.
1: His proposals were given now momentum, they were given urgency because there was an actual crisis on the hands of politicians that they had to resolve. And I think there was also, unlike before, there was an agreement across the board in the European Union and pretty much all of the countries that the crisis is profound and that the economic fallout will be severe. Nobody was in any doubt about that.
0: Macron came up with a relief plan, emergency funding with no strings attached. But for it to work, Macron needed to convince Angela Merkel. So he called up her finance minister, Olaf Scholz.
1: Government officials told me that basically what happened was Emmanuel Macron sneakily called Mr. Scholz late at night on his mobile phone, which is quite a move, you have to understand. You can't imagine... Angela Merkel calling the French finance minister or any finance minister behind the back of her actual co-locutor, which is the leader. So he, he did this kind of rare maneuver. He convinced the finance minister of his plans.
0: The finance minister took the idea to Merkel. Some of her other advisors were skeptical. But Merkel was starting to have a change of heart.
1: People familiar with Angela Merkel's thinking told me that she realized that, you know, the European idea as such is at stake because there would be a a huge amount of bad blood between countries once this is over. And that sort of created a perfect storm for this momentum that when Macron stepped in and said, here's a proposal, we can do this, I need you to be on board. And that's where she made her decision.
0: The two countries crafted a proposal together, a sweeping economic relief package that included 500 billion euros in grants. Merkel and Macron announced their proposal at a press conference in May.
1: This was still the time when they had lockdowns in both countries, so basically the press conference had to be held via a video link. Merci beaucoup. Madame la chancelière, cher Angela Merkel. And you could tell from the body language, you could tell from the appearances, you can tell from the facial expressions of the French president that he was really beaming. actions au niveau européen. He was smiling a huge smile. He was in his element rhetorically. étape majeure. He was obviously the man who had finally, 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 finally managed to achieve what he's been trying to do: convert the German chancellor.
0: Je ne serai pas plus long.
1: So that sent shockwaves across Europe because they kept it secret, nobody knew about it. And also the biggest shocker was Angela Merkel, who was seen as a leader who stands for conservative fiscal policy, who stands for for saving, not spending. So when that battle was won, then the final fight, so to speak, was then to convince the rest of the European Union member states.
0: That final fight, coming up after the break. This past weekend, the European Union held a summit where Merkel and Macron would try to get everybody on board with their rescue plan.
1: So that final battle was going to be fought in Brussels, which is the headquarters of the European institutions. And it was always clear that this will be a a real showdown between the South and the North, between the countries that are in favor of fiscal solidarity and the countries that are bitterly opposed to that because they have to pay for it
0: all of the 27 EU leaders headed to Brussels. The Danish prime minister even rescheduled her wedding to attend. And because of social distancing, they came with smaller delegations and everyone was expected to wear a mask.
1: And some of them had masks with the national flags of their countries drawn on them. And, you know, you could see the sort of the stereotypes. The Italian leader came with this sort of elegant mask with the Italian flag, as you would expect from an Italian. Um, Equally so, the French president, uh, Angela Merkel, in her sort of trademark simplicity, she wore a white mask, uh, sort of a bland, white, uh, low-key face cover.
0: Merkel and Macron's proposal required unanimous approval. And so as the summit started, they got to work, trying to convince Merkel's old coalition, fiscally conservative countries like the Netherlands and Denmark, to approve the financial rescue package.
1: Basically, it all started very harmoniously. And it was Merkel's 66th birthday on the first day of the summit. So many of the leaders brought little presents for her. President Macron brought her a couple of bottles of uh, Burgundy wine. That's one of her favorite wines. Other leaders brought other presents. But obviously, then, the gloves were off.
0: So how do Macron and Merkel approach these negotiations? How do they go? What's their style?
1: The way they divided this was that Macron let Chancellor Merkel do the heavy lifting, take the lead, in a way, in persuading and cajoling and convincing people in the value of the proposal, because... She essentially has more clout than he does. And also she has more credibility with the frugal countries because she was one of them until almost two months ago. And did it work? Initially, it didn't really work out. It has to be said, the frugal countries, they dug in, they were absolutely not going to have it. At one point, it got so bad that Chancellor Merkel and President Macron requested a meeting with the frugal leaders who have a separate meeting away from the main group, meeting in a separate room. This is according to several people in the room. And the masks were off. By that time, they had forgotten about the precaution about the health and safety measures. So they took off their masks, They Pushed out the sanitizer, and they sort of got on to business. They rolled up their sleeve. It was a sort of face-to-face combat, if you will.
0: The two sides met several times, and these so-called frugal countries kept resisting the proposal.
1: And at one point, it got so heated that uh, the Danish uh, prime minister, who had to push back her wedding, said basically, uh, "We don't need this. Why are we doing this? Nobody needs this at all." This is according to several people in the room. And uh, that was the moment when Johnson Merkel started losing her cool. She sort of raised her voice a little bit, apparently. She said that actually everyone needs this because if the southern countries would go bankrupt in the European Union, then the fallout from that would engulf the economies of the richer countries, who are all exporting obviously to the south, and therefore they would too go bankrupt. You know, voices were raised. Uh, At one point, President Macron was banging the table with his fist, which is perhaps typical for the stereotype of a Frenchman in affectation.
0: Eventually, the frugal countries came to the table with a counterproposal. They would accept Merkel and Macron's plan, but with a lower price tag. The two sides settled on 390 billion euros in grants. No strings attached. Why did these you call them frugal countries acquiesce?
1: Basically, they said in the aftermath they said that they realized that there was truth in in what French and the Germans were arguing that basically, if they were to fail to reach an agreement, and if they were just to leave after three days of negotiating, basically they feared the economic and the, and the political fallout of that showing that there is no unity in the European Union, that they can't agree on anything. There is a sense, even among the most hardline, frugal leaders, that the European Union could actually fall apart along these lines, that this could be a blow, that they won't be able to survive.
0: But this deal won't end the debate over economic integration in the EU. Now, the question is whether this kind of economic unity might extend beyond the rescue package. Some leaders from the frugal countries have insisted that this is a one-time deal, not a shift in policy. But French President Emmanuel Macron has called it a quote historic change.
1: There is no sort of understanding of whether this will become a common practice from now on or whether this is just a one-off. Now, I've covered the European Union for, you know, 12 years now, and I think once they set a precedent, they never go back, really. There's no sort of historic example of, of them having created a vehicle to do something and then just abandon it later. And it has been so desired by most of these countries that need the money that I I can't really imagine them reversing this whole thing once the pandemic is over. So the smart money would be on on the bet of the French president that he has managed to establish a new system which will persevere and, and sort of continue to operate in the future.
0: That's all for today, Friday, July 24th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is made by Gerard Cole, Pia Gudkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner with help from Sam Baer and Katherine Anderson. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Tim Huss, Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.